Today on Truth in Politics and Culture, New Hampshire voters give Trump and Biden big wins. South Carolina lawmakers appear to be on the verge of affirming a liberal Democrat to the state's Fifth Circuit Court. And Republicans discover over 100 January 6th committee files that were deleted before Republicans took control of Congress. This is Dr. Tony Beam, and it's time to crank it up. Good morning, everybody. Welcome in. If you're watching the show this morning on Facebook Live or YouTube, thanks for joining us here. We're here every day, 730 to 830. And of course, the shows hang around on YouTube and Facebook for a while. So if you want to go back and watch at some other time, you're welcome to do that. We have a podcast, too, by the same name with the same guy, and it'll be up in about an hour. So another great way that you can listen to the program. Actually, you can um, follow me, and it will come to your smart device, whatever you use, and uh, you can listen and peruse the programs at your leisure. See, a lot of people like to do that. They like to have complete control. I want absolute power over my life. So you end up uh, wanting <laughs> – that's actually from E.T. I mean, who in the world doesn't – E.T. statement from a movie that most people probably weren't born that were listening to this. Anyway, um, you can uh, listen to the podcast anytime you like is the point. It gives you uh, that kind of freedom if that's what you like. That's your thing. Uh, this is Tony Beam, by the way. I serve at North Greenville University where Christ makes the difference. I serve as the Senior Director of Church and Community Engagement and Public Affairs for... Uh, the university, and I also serve as the public policy consultant to the South Carolina Baptist Convention. I've been known to do some interim pastorate work. I've done about 20 of them in South Carolina. Love um, being with God's people and, and preaching and ministering, and um, I just, it, it's a, I really, it's a big part of what I enjoy doing. I, I don't have an interim pastorate at the moment, and so I land at First Baptist North Spartanburg, where my pastor is Dr. Mike Hamlet, a good friend of mine for years, and um, really enjoy doing ministry there and just, just being part of that great congregation. I am going to be preaching there on February the 13th, and uh, so if you'd like to, there's a, there are a couple of services. You can go to the website, First Baptist First North website, and find out about that. <clears throat> Um, and you can come and hear me speak at First Baptist North Spartanburg on February 13th at 9 o'clock, and I think the second service is at 11. Um, all right, another programming note, Austin Barker, who was my co-host for about 18 months, I think, is right. Um, when I was doing the radio show as uh, back uh, the one that I did for about 22 years before I started doing this. Anyway, Austin's going to come and join me on Friday. A lot of people enjoy that when Austin and I get together. So he's actually coming here to the luxurious Beam Dining Room uh, studio, uh, and he will be sitting here under the watchful eye of my daughter-in-law and my two daughters, which I sit under their watchful eyes every day. If you watch the show, you, you know they're right there on the wall behind me. And people look at my daughters and say, wow, they're blessed to look like their mother. 
and they absolutely are. All right, uh, getting into the show for today, President Trump won a decisive, solid victory, overwhelming, whatever adjective you want to use. He won all of those things in New Hampshire last night. He defeated Nikki Haley by over 10 points. That's another double-digit win for the president. Uh, Trump, in his victory speech, touted the fact that he is now the only Republican to win New Hampshire three times. Pretty impressive. This is a great, great state. You know, we won New Hampshire three times now, three. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's uh, which he did. And that's, uh, you know, that is something that other Republicans have not been able to do. Um, he delivered his victory speech last night, flanked by South Carolina Senator Tim Scott, former candidate Vivek Ramaswamy. Uh, Ramaswamy set a record last night for the longest less than one minute speech. But after lauding Trump's win, he went hard after Nikki Haley. Uh, no question. He was really uh, pounding and wanting Haley out of the race, even though that's not what Nikki Haley has decided to do. Of course, we're going to get to that here in just a minute. Tim Scott was there in the background. You know, uh, whoever's running Trump's campaign, and we talked about some of the people the other day as we were talking about some of the challenges that Trump has going forward in the November election, because that's really what we're talking about now. Um, but, But you talk about doing the smart thing, having Tim Scott right behind him, at the podium last night as he announces his win in New Hampshire. Why is that smart? Well, because Tim Scott was appointed to the Senate by Nikki Haley. He is a Don, uh, a Donald Trump supporter, a vocal Donald Trump supporter, and South Carolina is the next state. Now, Nevada's the next state on the calendar, and we're going to talk about that and why that's not such a big deal because of the mess in Nevada with their primary system um, that's competing with a caucus system, but we'll, 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 we'll get to that. But right now, uh, having Tim Scott step up to the microphone and just say a word or two, I mean, he had, um, you know, Trump was talking about the fact that, wow, um, you know, Haley appointed him to the Senate and he must not like, Tim Scott must not like her because, um, you know, here she appoints him and yet he doesn't endorse. And then, uh, you know, Scott steps up and says, you know, it's just that I love you. So they had a little uh, moment at the platform last night where uh, Tim Scott was reaffirming his support for Trump and talked about coming on to South Carolina and winning big here. And that's likely what's going to happen in case anybody has any doubts about that. If you're not from South Carolina, you're listening to the podcast from somewhere else or watching from somewhere else. Um, it's very likely that Trump is going to win big here in South Carolina. Haley spent a lot of money, a lot of time in New Hampshire. And when she stepped up to the microphone and started thanking everyone, I mean, I really thought she was going to drop out. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm watching this. I was actually multitasking last night because I, because I had a Colson uh, Fellows seminar, a webinar that I was watching, and I had the closed captioning up on the TV so I could kind of read what was happening while I was listening to what was going on with uh, with Colson. By the way, I don't recommend that. It gave me, as as my as my my grandmother would say, it gave me the headache. Have you ever heard that? People call it the headache. Like there's only one, and only one person at a time can get it. And when you got it, nobody else is. Anyway, I got the headache last night trying to do that. Uh, but Haley stepped up. To, she's thanking everyone on the campaign. I mean, she thanked her husband. She thanked her family. She thanked her supporters. And I really, really, really thought that the next thing out of her mouth would be that she's suspending her campaign. But she surprised a lot of people 
by saying this. Sure is first in the nation. It is not the last in the nation. This race is far from over. There are dozens of states left to go. And now we're the last one standing next to Donald Trump. And today we got close to half of the vote. Okay, she got close to half of the vote. Um, that might be a little bit of an exaggeration. Uh, when you consider that President Trump got well over 50% of the vote. Uh, she did get a lot more votes than the polling indicated. And, and, and I'll just say this, with all due respect to Haley, who is a fighter, uh, no question about that. And by the way, it, it, there's a lot of pressure being put on her to drop out. A lot of things were said last night by some of the commentators on Fox News and a couple of other places that I flipped over just to, to check to see what was going on. And I, I just, look, if you say that you want her to drop out, that's fine. But don't disparage her for not dropping out. I mean, she's got a right to stay in the race as long as she wants. Uh, Donald Trump is the Republican nominee. And however long Nikki Haley stays in the race, he's still going to be the nominee. Now, there is some advantage to everybody beginning to uh, coalesce around Trump for the November for the for the election. Go ahead and let's let's get everybody on the same page. Let's focus. Let's focus all our fire toward the Biden White House and trying to get Trump elected. I get that. But look, let's face it, that's going to happen anyway. Whether Nikki stays in or gets out, um, the focus is primarily going to be on November. And so I don't I don't see the fact that she's staying in as such a is the terrible deal that a lot of other people see. Uh, Trump's going to win South Carolina. He's going to win Nevada. Uh, Nikki's not even going to Nevada simply because uh, she's on the primary ballot, but she's not on the caucus ballot. And in Nevada, the caucus, whoever wins the caucus gets the delegates. And so whoever wins the caucus is the winner. It's a mess. We're, we're going to talk some more about that in just a minute because it's really weird. Um, and I find it kind of interesting how... Uh, politics plays in these um, races between, okay, who gets to say? Is it the state that sets the primaries? Is it, is it the party that sets the rules? Um, there's just a lot of give and take and all that. Uh, the tell of when Nikki's going to drop out is when the money dries up. When the campaign money's gone, the road ends. That's, that's just the way this works. And she raised $24 million, according to the uh, latest reports, in the last quarter of 2023, and sources say she's now got about $15 million on hand, and she's got money still flowing into her campaign. And if that stops, the campaign stops as soon as the money runs out. But right now, she's got the money to soldier on. She's going to come to South Carolina. She is a fighter. I expect her, I mean, if you, you've probably been seeing the ads that are being run in South Carolina that are going after Trump, saying, and, and the tack is this, that Nikki Haley is the one who can beat Donald Trump in November. Um, the polling shows that Trump is is polling ahead of Biden, but in all of in most of those polls, Trump is ahead only within the margin of error. Nikki Haley is ahead of Biden outside the margin of error, so that gives her a much more solid lead at the moment. But that's not a that that's a it's a it's a good argument. If you've got that advantage, then you need to press it. But that's not going to persuade voters. Um, it's certainly not going to persuade voters in South Carolina. They're, this is Trump country. South Carolina is Trump country. Every major uh, political leader in the state, pretty much, 
um, has endorsed and gotten behind Donald Trump, and the ones that haven't will. Uh, some, there were a, a pretty good number that were behind DeSantis, and now DeSantis is out of the race. Those folks are going to be supporting Donald Trump for the most part. Um, Haley's ignoring Nevada, and again, it's a state that has a schizophrenic primary. It's holding a primary and a caucus. And to understand that, you have to remember that caucuses are run by political parties and primary elections are run by states and local governments. So in 2021, there was a problem with the Democrat caucuses in reporting, and it caused a recount. And so the state legislature passed a law requiring the state to hold a presidential primary, but the law didn't bind the political parties to the results. So the Republican Party decided to stick with the caucus system, and they sued the state over the primary election law. Then the Nevada GOP passed a rule stating that any candidate who signed up for the primary is barred from participating in the caucus because the caucus winner is the one who's going to get the delegates. So Haley's the only Republican candidate on the primary ballot, so she can't participate in the caucus. Uh, Trump is the only candidate in Nevada on the in the caucus, um, and so he's the only candidate can be awarded delegates. Voters in Nevada can vote in both the primary and the caucus, which is really weird, because what difference does it make if Nikki Haley wins all these votes in the primary when it's not going to translate into anything? Now, it would translate for her into an embarrassment for Trump, but that's not going to happen. Nevada is probably, I mean, I don't know what the percentages are. I haven't looked at the polling in Nevada. Uh, I've been focusing on South Carolina and New Hampshire, but I, I can tell you that um, Trump is, is, is going to take the lion's share of the vote. He'll win big, very big in Nevada. Very big, very big win for Trump in Nevada. I've been working on my Trump imitation, and I'm going to work on it some more before I roll it out again, so don't worry. Um, but anyway, Trump's going to dominate and take all the delegates. Now, if you're confused, it's okay, because quite frankly, it's easier to understand the plot of an M. Night uh, Shyamalan movie than to understand the state of Nevada when it comes to politics. But instead of getting a headache over Nevada, Nikki's coming to South Carolina, uh, where she hopes to give uh, Don Donald Trump a headache. Uh, my prediction, Trump wins by double digits in South Carolina. Right now, he's polling at about 60% uh, to Haley's 25%. Now, and I don't think anything that happened in New Hampshire is going to change that, not here in South Carolina. Haley's hope, well, we're going to talk about some of the states that she thinks she might could do well in if the money doesn't dry up. Um, but let's talk about the Democrat side here for a second because it is significant. Joe Biden wasn't on the ballot for the primary last night. Again, a big mess because the DNC moved the, the made the first primary for the Democrats, South Carolina. And it's interesting that they, they just snubbed Iowa, excuse me, Iowa and New Hampshire because the demographic makeup wasn't advantageous to, to Joe Biden. Just think about this for a second with me, will you? Imagine if Republicans had done that. Let's say the RNC skipped two states because they were, for any reason to do with race, um, how many people would be calling, well, they're already calling Republicans racist all the time, but that would lend a louder voice to that accusation if the RNC did that. But that's what the DNC did. They, they made a decision based on the fact that, in their mind, South Carolina looks more like the Democrat Party 
It looks more like the diversity in the Democrat Party. What are you saying to these people in New Hampshire? Well, it didn't keep them from turning out for Joe Biden. I mean, I, I want you to think about this. Biden wasn't on the ballot. So you talk about an open opportunity for Dean Phillips or for Marianne Williamson uh, to make some noise, to grab a big symbolic win. I mean, they weren't going to get any delegates out of it. But I guarantee you, if Phillips had come within a, a, a hair's breadth of Biden, um, and and if and my goodness, if Phillips had beaten Biden last night, that would be the story. Nobody would be talking about Haley or uh, or Trump. It would all be about the fact that Phillips beat Biden in New Hampshire, especially because Biden and, and even with Biden having to have a write-in campaign in order for him not to be embarrassed, so that he, you know, he comes away with a win. So. I mean, what happened last night? Well, Biden got over 54,000 votes or 51.5% of all the votes cast. Phillips got 21,000 or just over 21,000, about 21,405, something like that. That's 21% of the vote. And Mariana Williamson received the votes of four reincarnated grandmasters, three vegan gurus, and a former consultant, Puff the Magic Dragon. I'm kidding. Mariana Williamson got... 4.7% of the vote last night. Now, why is this significant? Uh, it's significant because, as I said, Biden's name wasn't on the ballot. And so they had to organize a write-in campaign. And boy, did they ever. 54,000 people come out and write in Biden's name. Now, that's, that's low turnout, obviously, in New Hampshire. Uh, but it's low turnout because the main candidate... His name was not on the ballot, and yet they were able to get that number of people to come out, and I, I think that's significant. All right, a few quick takeaways uh, from the New Hampshire primary, things that we can think about going forward. First thing, most important thing, the primary season is over. Whether we like it or not, we're going to have a Trump-Biden rematch in 2024. That's it. Uh, don't expect something different. <clears throat> now, the only thing, the only caveat that I would put in that is Biden's health and Trump's legal problems. Either one of those things could, I don't think they will, but they could alter the contest in, uh, when we get to November. I mean, we don't, we don't know, um, what the, even behind the scenes, that Biden's public gaffes, I mean, they, be, they may be worse in private. I mean, we don't, we don't know where he is. He's, he's 81 years old. He's, um, he's obviously having some mental and, and physical difficulties, challenges. So something could change between now and then. And, and please understand me. I'm not hoping for that. I'm not asking for that. Um, I, I pray that Joe Biden stays healthy. Um, and, but something, I mean, something could happen that he would have to step out of the race. Um, and then again, you, the same thing with Trump. We don't know. I went through yesterday what the likely legal scenarios are. And we could have uh, uh, President Trump on trial in the Jack Smith case in July, about the same time that we're having the Republican National Convention. Now, I don't think they'll actually set the date for July because Trump's got too strong of a case to say, look, I am the Republican nominee for president. You can't set a trial date when, and, and besides, the Supreme Court's probably not going to rule on the uh, a presidential immunity question 
and the question about some of the, whether he can be on the ballot in some of these states, we're probably not going to hear about that. Well, it could be as late as June. And so what Jack Smith is going to want to do is try to press to have the trial probably between the convention after the Supreme Court decision, but before the elections. Always been his goal to, to try to get Trump convicted of something before the election. That's everybody's goal. That's what all these these charges are about. I mean, we're we're witnessing something that is, in my mind, it's just unprecedented in history, where you have one political party using the judici- judicial system to go after their political opponent in a very public way to try to drive them off the ballot. Now, a lot of people are saying that the Democrats know that charging Trump with all these charges is going to increase support for him. He's going to get the nomination, and then he's going to be disqualified, or people are going to abandon him when the trial starts and all this stuff comes out, or he gets convicted. Um, I don't think that's going to happen, but uh, but but we'll but we'll see. Um, let me see if I can grab this telephone call here. I'm going to I'm going to interrupt myself cuz I've got representative John McCravey. Now, you good morning, uh representative McCravey. You know that you're on the program, right? I do. Okay, great, great. I just wanted to be sure cuz we didn't get a chance <laughs> to text before we started and I thought, well, if I'm going to answer and talk to him, I want to make sure he's on the program. Um I appreciate you calling yeah. in this morning. First of all, um, let me introduce our, our guest. Most of you know him. He's been on the show many times. This is Representative John McCravey. He's the leader of the Family Caucus in the South Carolina House of Representatives and uh, represents about 46 now, 46, 48 people. Um, uh, We're growing. Yeah. It might be 50 before long. Yeah, before we finish this phone conversation. It could That's be right. that. I mean, they're just That's coming right. in left and right. Um, so we got a couple of victories yesterday in, uh, in an important subcommittee in the judiciary. So talk about the two bills that the Family Caucus is solidly behind that made progress yesterday. Well, the first of those is the social media bill. We, we need to get parental consent before our children are able to get on social media. You know, this has been one of the, one of the banes of, of our society in recent years. And, you know, our regulation has not kept up with the technology. So many kids are getting on and, and being co-opted by the technology that, that, that has been designed to, to addict them to the social media. Right. And so, uh, some of them are worse than others, but, but, uh, this would, this would be a, a great step in the right direction. Well, I think it would be, you know, I, I heard someone make this comment and, and I can't remember who it was. Uh, it was a couple of months ago and it wasn't even in the context of this bill, but it was in the context of talking about the danger of minors when it comes to social media and pornography. And we're going to talk about the pornography side in a minute. But they made the statement. They said handing a smartphone to a minor without any rules or regulation, just signing up, getting them a smartphone is like handing them a loaded gun. I mean, it's it's as dangerous as if you handed them a gun. And I, I think last night I was on this Colson uh, fellow seminar and John St- uh, Stone Street talked about this. He said, you are opening up a world, especially to, to young girls, that every day their self-image is called into question. 
And also every day they see messages that they might be actually a male in a female body. And that's that message particularly is being pushed to young girls. So this is an important piece of legislation. If we can get parental involvement and parental permission, we can cut down some of the risk to minors over social media. I agree with that. And, and let me say this, too. You know, we, uh, we plan ahead in the family caucus. And this bill was actually passed in Utah last year, and it wasn't on my radar. And it wasn't on our radar. And right. I want to hand it. I want to give all the credit to the speaker who said, what about this bill? And so we took a look at it. And I want to give credit to Weston, Chairman Weston Newton for getting this bill up. And uh, so they deserve all the credit for that, even though it is a family caucus back bill. Um, I, I got to give them credit where credit is due on that. Well, and it passed yesterday without a dissenting vote. I mean, how many times That's do you right. see? The, how many times can you remember the Judiciary Committee passing something to the House floor without a negative vote? I mean, something like this. There is a it's lot. Right. Yeah. That's right. There's a lot of support so, for so, it. And second bill yesterday that we got out of full Judiciary was really good. Uh, Representative Travis Moore, a family caucus member from up in Spartanburg, uh, introduced this last year. And this, this bill, you know, would, would require strict age verification uh, before children, you know, before anybody can get on a, a website that has pornography on it. So, I mean, it's just, it's just, it seems like common sense. And there's a requirement that they do that anyway, but they've been doing it without any strict uh, protocol. So this bill would require some strict electronic protocol and it has some teeth with it. If they get caught uh, allowing a minor on their site, they're going to be in big trouble. The attorney general can, can come after them. So it's a big deal. It and, is a, uh, it is a got, big deal. And, and we've, we've got to get this moving. I think it'll move fairly quickly. and We'll get that passed soon. Well, I so think so too. Two, two big bills, two big wins um, going to the House floor. I think they'll pass in the House, and then we'll have to start focusing on the Senate to make sure they get signed and get passed and signed into law. Governor, of course, had signed both of these bills without question. Um, I think so, too. And I want to thank you for being down in Columbia. You know, we sure when I, when I look up in the committee and I look around and I see your face out there, it, it helps. <laughs> well, well, I think that's the first time anybody said something positive about my face being somewhere. So thank you for that. I really, I really, I really appreciate that. That's big encouragement for me. Well, let, let's talk well, a little bit. Thank you. Well, we have, we have a little cadre of conservatives down in Columbia, uh, one message, right. and uh, we try to do our best to be down there as often as we can and support uh, great lawmakers like you that are willing to put it all out there uh, to get these bills passed. Let me ask you about James Smith. I mean, this thing has turned into a big mess. Um, you know, we've Fitz News has been talking about it now for a little while, and now the Daily Signal, which is the Heritage Foundation national website, has got a story story today saying South Carolina Republicans are drawing fire from the Freedom Caucus for pushing a pro-abortion former Democratic House leader as the state's next circuit judge for the Fifth Judicial Circuit. That's the opening paragraph from Daily Signal. Talk about that a little bit. 
Well, uh, James Smith is one of the nicest people you will ever meet. He's very cordial. He's very polite. He's he's got a pleasant personality, and by all measure, he he's a nice fella. The problem with 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 this James Smith is when he was in the House of Representatives, he was the antithesis of the family caucus. Sure. And and the people who stood for what was right in the House, he worked you know diligently against any pro pro. Uh, any any anti-abortion efforts, he was on the other side. He was pro-choice on everything, and not only was he pro-choice, but he was the leader of the pro-choice uh, movement. And he he has he is very effective. So not only was he on the wrong side of the issues, uh, he was not a conservative, of course. He was he was a liberal, but he was very effective on the liberal side. So this is not the kind of person that I would want to be a judge, not because they're not qualified. He's certainly qualified, but because he was an ideologue on the wrong side when he served in the House of Representatives. Right. So, you know, that's that's the reason I and, and here's the thing. Maybe as a trial judge, he would get some because he's in Richland, he would get some of these uh uh, abortion cases because Planned Parenthood would file their case in front of him. Sure. They judge, you know, they can judge shop and that's what they'll do. So, so to say that he's not going to be involved just because he's a trial judge, well, he might be involved in the very beginning, but nevertheless, if he ever made it, if he ever made it to the appellate level, it, we, it would be a disaster for conservatism in South Carolina. Right. So while I like the man, I don't have anything personally against him other than his, you know, his views. Uh, you know, I, I strongly oppose his his judgeship, and I I began working to get the other guy elected way back. Now the other guy was a Democrat too, so so it's you know, but he was in he was a good man. He was in the military. He talked about his Christianity, you know. And, so, but, but I heard a, you know, I can't say for sure, but I heard a rumor yesterday that he was dropping out. So I don't know that as a fact, but if that's the case, then the Democrats have pushed the other guy out of the race. Right. So kind of unusual, but, but nevertheless, uh, that's what's going on. And, and I will not vote for him as much as I like him, as much as a nice person he is, I, I will not vote for him. Well, you know, uh, by the way, either it, it's either Daily Signal or Fitz News. I, I think it's Fitz News that confirmed that the other candidate did drop out yesterday. At least they're reporting that okay. today. So, okay. um, so now, it, it, but but here's the thing: um, Daily Signal is reporting that James Smith retweet. You know, we just passed the uh, a bill that would protect minors from a gender surgery from yeah. what what we believe is mutilation of minors. Um, and also right. from puberty blockers and cross hormone treatments. Well, James Smith retweeted a tweet, uh, an X, whatever you call them now, uh, of President Biden, who said to transgender Americans across the country, uh, "People, you people are so brave. I want you to know I have your back during Pride Month and all the time." So he, here's a here's a guy that could be on the Fifth Circuit Court in South Carolina that is is retweeting a tweet that's kind of signaling. I mean, to me, that's a signal as to the way that he would vote on legislation 
that is currently being considered by the South Carolina House. This is why we need judicial reform in this state. I think that's the point. Well, anybody can run if, you know, the question about how somebody gets gets to that point, you know, there were only two candidates that ran. Right. So, I mean, what do you do when you got two Democrats running? I mean, it, it's it's not a it's not a great situation. You've got to have good candidates. So, right. you know, I don't know that I don't know that any judicial reform would would help us keep somebody like this out in this situation. I don't know of anything that could. Well, I mean, that's what qualified. He's qualified and he ran. Right. And he's entitled to run. We just can't can't elect him. That's the that's the bottom line. Well, and and what happens, uh, Representative McCravey? I mean, is there an alternative? I mean, it, it, it can yeah. the, can they yeah. just so so what so what I think is going to happen is they're going to have a roll call vote. And if he can't, I, you know, I don't know how he can get elected. Maybe they need to just take him off the ballot. But there are ways to do that. We've disqualified an entire slate of people running before. Right. So I know we did that with a PSC on, on one occasion. So it can be done. Well, I, I think it, listen, it needs to be done. We, we cannot, well, I mean, you know, me. it's going to be, it's going to be difficult for any conservative to vote for him. And we have a super majority, so it's going to be hard to get him elected. But if, if, if they did run his opponent out, if his opponent bowed out, that's a, that's an unusual situation there. Yeah. Well, that's like I said, I think that's a, a, according to Fitz News this morning. Uh, listen, you've given us a lot of time this morning. Final question. Do you have any response or reaction to New Hampshire primary last night? I mean, uh, Nikki Haley says she's coming on to South Carolina uh, to fight on for the nomination. But all the polling that I've seen here in South Carolina has Trump way ahead. Um, so what, what do you think about the state of that? Well, I think the race is over. I yep. think it's time for Republicans to unite. Yep. And whether you whether Trump was your first pick or not, it's time to get behind him and let's get a let's get a Republican elected because we've got we got to save this country. Yes, we, we do. We're in a, a a very difficult time right now. I think this is gonna be a tough election and it's gonna take a lot of coalescing. It's gonna and conservatives, everybody in the Republican Party, everybody who loves and and is and cares about the direction and the future of this country are going to have to come together, and that's just the the that's just the where where it sits. But anyway, thank you, Representative McCravey. You're always so kind to us. Thanks for calling in this morning, and I look forward to seeing you tomorrow. Well, thank you, Dr. Beam, and we appreciate what you do, and we appreciate your support. Thank you, sir. All right, Representative John McCravey, kind of giving us the lowdown on this uh, situation with uh, James Smith. Now, we're going to come back to that. I want to talk a little bit more about that, give you a little bit uh, more information, background, uh, because now is the time, by the way, if you're concerned about this, you need to let your representative in South Carolina, uh, your senator, your state rep, you need to let them know that you don't want James Smith confirmed, even if he's the only guy. Uh, because th this makes no sense. I, I, I never understand how it is that Republicans... Uh, that they they get power. I mean, here in South Carolina, um, you know, the the Democrat Party essentially has no power, and yet we we have all these Republicans. We have a, a supermajority in the House. We have a supermajority in the Senate. And yet, well, you've heard me talk about this before. I don't want to bore you, but I I just when I think about it, I'm like, how in the world can it come down 
to, to a choice of two people whose philosophical um, ideas about the direction of the state are diametrically opposed to the majority of, of those who serve in the legislature that are put there by the people of South Carolina. I mean, I, it, it just it fascinates me. Uh, but there is, as you heard uh, Representative McCravey say, there's a way that, that he just doesn't get a majority of the votes, and that's what needs to happen here. And we need to be paying attention because it, you can pass good laws. Uh, you can, and, and if they get caught up in the court system, and we have, we have justices who are activists when it comes to pushing an agenda um, that is not the agenda of most of the people in South Carolina, if they're pushing an agenda in the court system, then these laws are never, the good laws that get passed never go into an effect, go into effect. You know, yesterday, the law on protecting minors from pornography, that passed out of the judiciary by a, a, a unanimous vote. I mean, there were some not voting because there were some not present when the vote took place, but it, nobody voted against it. Same thing with the uh, social media bill. I mean, people in this state want to protect minors from some of the things that can be so destructive in their lives. And what we pass the, if we pass these bills, we get good bills, we, we, we create a, a culture in South Carolina that, is, that leans toward the right things uh, by passing good legislation. And then we, we put people on the court system that are going to be likely to strike those down or to hold them up or to, I mean, it matters. And James Smith, I, I have no doubt that he's a nice guy. I don't know him personally. I take John's word for that, Representative McCravey. Um, and, but you heard, even though that's true, uh, Representative McCravey can't vote for him, and I, I don't see how any conservative could vote for him, knowing his philosophy, which is well-established. All right, let me go back to New Hampshire for a second because I wanted to go through these takeaways. Um, the first one, we're going to have a Trump-Biden rematch. Number two, Haley lost, but she beat the polling numbers, and that's what's given her some encouragement to continue in the race. Um, and that may be so, but South Carolina doesn't have the large number of independents or moderates that New Hampshire has, and so I think Trump wins going away. Number three, and I think this is important, Biden may be weak. He's a weak candidate. There's no question. But when it comes right down to it, Democrat voters are highly motivated at this point to vote for him. Now, they may not be highly motivated in November, but, in, in, but if they are highly motivated— it's going to be because Trump is the opposition, and that motivates Democrats to come out. Just like Republicans were motivated in 2016 to come out and vote against Hillary Clinton, Democrats are going to be motivated again, and just like they were in 2020, they're going to be motivated to come out and vote in big numbers against Donald Trump, which means, back to the conversation I was having with Representative McCravey, if Republicans are going to win the presidency, if we're going to get down-ballot races, uh, Senate, House, those are so important, and so much of that revolves around the presidential uh, candidate and the success of people turning out to vote for the uh, candidate at the top of the ticket. We have got to get together and get behind the nominee. Um, you know, and, and, and I make no bones about this. Look, Trump's not my guy. Uh, Ron DeSantis was my guy, but... Ron DeSantis is out of the race. 
Um, I, you know, I, the, this is why the primary system is in place. It's for the majority of Republicans to make their choice. And Republicans are, I mean, they've made their choice. So um, back, back to Biden and his win. There, these Democrats in New Hampshire, now, if, if this wasn't a write-in campaign, if, if, if Biden got 54,000 votes with the normal process, that would have been an embarrassment. But because it was a write-in campaign, that's an overwhelming victory. I mean, he won by a ton. Um, and people had to think about what they were doing. They had to be intentional. They couldn't just show up at a voting booth and pull a lever or mark a ballot. They had to go and write his name in. Now, I know that's not rocket science. I get it. But still, it's another thing that they had to do in order to support Biden at this level. Is he a weak candidate? Yes. Um, but it, I think this demonstrates that Democrats are still willing to get out there and vote for him. And, and so we shouldn't take that for granted, is all I'm saying. Um, you know, there's all these stories out there. I listened to a couple of podcasts yesterday, driving back and forth to Columbia, um, where they're talking about this whole Michelle Obama thing, that um, the, the story is, the conspiracy theory or story, whichever way you want to talk about it, is that President Obama has got all these donors lined up. Uh, they're going to support Michelle. The plan, uh, according to some sources, is that Michelle's going to step out in May and she's going to announce that she's going to be the she's going to run that the and that Joe Biden is going to step aside and then she's going to start campaigning and then roll into the Democrat convention in August and become the candidate. Um, is that going to happen? I I have no idea. Would I be would I be surprised if it happened? Yes. Would I be shocked? No, because the Democrats know that Biden is very vulnerable this time. I mean, they're already I, I saw a story this morning at National Review where you've got Democrat operatives that are encouraging Joe Biden to run another basement campaign. They think that's his best shot is just to go disappear and let Trump go out and say things and let the trial and the stuff come out about uh, from the tri these trials about Trump. And look, if, if he does that, I think he loses. Um, I, I don't think Biden can get away with that again. I don't think he can just disappear. There's no COVID to drive him to the basement. If he does um, not campaign vigorously, then I think that's going to be an indicator that it, it's going to convince people that he's not able or f to be president of the United States. Um, so we'll, we'll see. We know what his campaign shtick, so to speak, his campaign message is going to be. His campaign message is going to be that MAGA Republicans are dangerous and that Trump is the MAGA guy. Last night he was talking about that this win by Donald Trump in New Hampshire seals the fact that the uh, MAGA Republicans have taken over the party. Um, and, of course, Trump's uh, counterattack is going to be that progressives and anti-America first people have taken over the Democrat Party. And so we're going we're gonna to have an election that may end up, at least by those that are trying to get elected, to be less about the issues that are actually on the table and more about the nature of the two candidates and the parties that they represent and what they've become. Um, I'm, I'm sure voters now voters may not respond that way. I think voters are concerned about illegal immigration. Voters are concerned about the economy still, even though the media is beginning to tell us that the economy's picking up. 
Now, they've been trying to do that for six months or longer uh, because of Bidenomics. Bidenomics was a big fail because people are smart enough to know they don't need somebody telling them what the economy's like when they go to the store or when they go to the gas station or when they try to buy anything or do anything or they look at their wages. I mean, they get, they get it. Uh, the economy's not great for the average American. But the media is beginning to talk about how wages have crept up and inflation's come down a little bit and consumer confidence is beginning to grow. That may or may not be true. But I can tell you this, if, if the media and the Democrat Party is um, successful in convincing the American people, and if the numbers do bear out that the economy's turning around, that's, that's, that's a good thing for America uh, in terms of we should never pull against people being able to do better, but it would, it would hurt Donald Trump's chances of winning uh, because then he's going to have to rely heavily on immigration and some of these other issues. Uh, and, and, and just because the economy is like number two on people's minds as to what's most important. When you look, I didn't go through all this. Uh, Fox News did a lot of analysis last night about what New Hampshire voters think. Uh, I'm not going to go through all that today. It's, it's fascinating if you like that kind of thing. But we're so far out from the election. What the top issues are now may not be the top issues by the time we get to November because there's just so much that can happen between now and then. Uh, all right, number four, Trump needs independent. We're talking about the takeaways. Trump needs independent voters to win the general election. Haley won 60% of the moderate and independent voters in New Hampshire. And what and CNN is saying, uh, I think the number they put out is 70%. I, I think it's 60. Whatever it is, Trump needs to win them back to win in November. He's going to have to have, he can't just win with the Republican base and the Republican Party. He's going to have to have these people that are going to have to trust him. They're going to have to look at Biden and say, you know, this guy's just not fit to be president, so I'm going to vote for Trump. Um, and and th those these independent voters, the, the messaging to them is going to have to be different than it is to the party base. But we're in the primary. We're still in the primary. So I'm hopeful that Trump's messaging is going to change a little bit uh, coming out of this now, because he is the he's the he's the nominee for all intents and purposes, that he begins to talk to the people, some that he's got to win over in order to win the White House in November. Uh, number five, Haley's decision to stay in the race may not go past South Carolina. She named Virginia, North Carolina, Massachusetts, Texas as states where she might do well. I think Michigan is uh, her campaign manager said something about. Uh, Michigan would be good ground for her. Of course, now we're talking about Super Tuesday, uh, which is in February. I think it's February 2nd, maybe. Um, not sure about the date, but it's coming up soon. No, 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 I'm sorry. March 2nd. Uh, Super Tuesday's not until March. Um, she might, but if she loses in South Carolina by double digits, uh, the money to her campaign is probably going to be gone. And unless she has donors who will keep her in the race until Super Tuesday, um, and, you know, and, and unless there are donors who are thinking that Trump's legal trouble could drive him out of the race at some point. Now, I don't think that's going to happen. Don't, please don't go tell people, oh, Tony says Trump's going to be, I'm, I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying, I, but I am saying that there are those who think 
that there's a window here that if, if there needs to be a candidate standing that would be able to step in should Trump's legal troubles interfere significantly with his ability to get elected. And uh, we're not going to know that for a while. So uh, it's going to cost some donors some money if, if, if Haley's going to hang around to be the one that could pick up the pieces should that happen. And I'm not even sure the Republican Party would turn to her or trust her, even though she's the only one left in the race. All right, um, let me go back and, and talk just a little bit more about James um, Smith, <clears throat> because there's some things you need to know about him um, as, as a candidate for the Fifth Circuit. Um, he was the tw 2018 Democratic gubernatorial nominee. He's the former Democrat leader of the South Carolina House of Representatives, and he's described by one Planned Parenthood affiliate, now this is all coming from Daily Signal, as a vocal supporter and advocate for Planned Parenthood. Now, according to Fitz News, he's promised that if he's on the uh, Fifth Circuit, that he's, he's promising he's not going to do anything about the negative about the abortion law. Look, I, I, what is that worth? I mean, and how can he do that? I mean, we've now gotten to the point where judges are beginning to speak openly and directly, not just about judicial philosophy, but specific cases. I mean, if he's made some kind of promise that he's not going to do anything about the which the abortion ban in South Carolina, the six-week ban, um, if, if more legal challenges are raised, I, you know, what does that say about the process here for electing judges that we're now pressing them for specific decisions before they even get on the bench? Um, I don't think that's good for the process. Look, we need to make decisions based on qualifications, but primarily based on judicial philosophy in the world that we're in today. Let's face it. I mean, there, there are judicial activists who want to use the court system to supplant the will of the people. And uh, uh, progressives are absolutely leading that parade. And so we just, we, we, you know, this, this business of simply looking at the qualifications, we need to know the, the philosophy, where this person has come from, coming from. Uh, Citizens for Life, according to Daily Signal, Citizens for Life has said that it'll, they'll score against legislators who vote for Smith. Now, that matters because Citizens for Life does score representatives and puts out information in primary, for uh, primary elections and the general election. So that's, that, that means something. Now, I'm on the board of Palmetto Family here in South Carolina. We don't do that. And of course, as in my role with the South Carolina Babs Convention, we don't score candidates. We put out information. We try to give legislators information to help them make good decisions about laws, and we advocate for those laws. We, we also, in my role, I also pray for them and try to encourage them um, every day and that I have the opportunity as I get to know them. And I, and I think that's, as a believer, listen, a follower of Jesus Christ, that's one of the most important things that I can do. Uh, yes, be a good advocate, but be an advocate and a, a, a person who speaks words of encouragement and scripture over these leaders that have been elected and have been called to these positions. All right, back to Smith. He was also a vocal critic of former President Donald Trump's tariffs. Uh, he voiced support for Hillary Clinton's failed presidential campaign, and he didn't immediately respond to a request for comment from the Daily Signal. 
And South Carolina members of the Supreme Court, the Court of Appeals, the Circuit Court are all elected by a joint public vote of the General Assembly. Uh, Fitz News reports that, quote, Smith has earned the support of a majority of Republican lawmakers in his bid for a South Carolina Circuit Judge judgeship, uh, end quote. Now, that, that may be, uh, as, as you just heard, uh, he doesn't have the support of Representative McCravey, and I would imagine that many of the Family Caucus are not going to vote for him. The Freedom Caucus, which is – the membership varies. I went to the press conference the other day. I think they had like 15 or 16. If I'm giving a low number, uh, forgive me because I don't remember exactly how many they had. But um, anyway, now you're talking about uh, combined uh, probably about 65 votes that would be against him if everybody holds together on the Family Caucus and the Freedom Caucus. According to the state, the seat that Smith is seeking has historically been held by a black judge representing Richmond County's large black population. Smith is challenging African-American attorney Justin Williams, a former assistant solicitor for the Fifth Judicial Circuit and an insurance defense lawyer. Members of the Freedom Caucus that are opposing Smith's appointment tore into the former Democratic House leader in statements to the Daily Signal, quote, this judicial race highlights exactly why South Carolina desperately needs both a reformed judicial system and more reform-minded true conservatives in the South Carolina General Assembly, uh, said uh, South Carolina State Freedom Caucus, State Freedom Caucus Network Director Evan Newman. Uh, yeah, the Freedom Caucus. He's, he's basically the spokesperson for the Freedom Caucus. The fact that a pro-planned uh, Planned Parenthood, former Bernie Sanders-supported Democrat candidate for governor, is the chosen candidate by the Republican establishment, is laughable and should serve as a warning to all red states that just because someone has an R by their name doesn't mean they're actually representing your values. Now, with a lot of this coming out, um, uh, honestly, I, I think that there's a real opportunity here that Smith will, will not get the votes that he needs to get this position. Um, again, if you're concerned about this, if there's something that matters to you, uh, you need to pick up the phone or send a text message or an email, whatever. However you communicate with your legislator, let them know what you think about this and do it quickly because uh, this is coming up. All right, we got just a few minutes left here, and, and I got one other story that I just kind of wanted to throw out here uh, simply because I just want to give credit uh, well, we were going to talk. I was supposed to talk about the um, the stuff that's been deleted from the January sixth committee. So let's let's go ahead and talk about that for a second because I, I I had that on the uh, on my radar here. Uh, this is according to the Washington Times. Uh, Fox News is reporting this as well. In fact, let me see if I can't find my Fox News story. Um, come back. Nope, that's not it. I was trying to because the Fox News story actually has a little bit more detail. They're the ones that broke the story about the, um, what's been deleted when the, with the January 6th committee before Republicans actually took the House, which, I mean, this kind of stuff is absolutely terrible. All right, let me go back to the Washington Times. I can't find the Fox story. Um, well, yeah, here we go. Washington Times. Uh, let's get back here. No, this is why I need a producer. I mean, I just about, <laughs> I wish I could afford just to hire somebody. This is the Fox News story. The former House Select Committee on January 6th deleted more than 100 encrypted files 
from its probe days before Republicans took over the majority in the House of Representatives. That's according to Fox News Digital. The House Administration Committee's Oversight Subcommittee is leading an investigation into January 6th, led by Barry Loudermilk, Republican Georgia. The panel is investigating the security failures on that day, as well as the actions of the former select committee investigating the Capitol riot. Loudermilk last week told Fox News Digital his investigation has entered a new phase with renewed support from House Speaker Mike Johnson, um, who has committed additional resources to the panel's investigation. Sources familiar with Loudermilk's investigation told Fox News Digital, per House rules, the former select committee, which was chaired by Representative Benny Thompson, uh, Democrat from uh, Mississippi, was required to turn over all documents from its investigation to the new GOP-led panel after Republicans secured the majority of the House of Representatives following the 2022 midterms. Sources told Fox News Digital that Thompson told Loudermilk that the select committee would turn over four terabytes of archived data, but the new committee only received approximately two terabytes of data. Then Fox News learned that Loudermilk's committee hired a digital forensics team to scrape hard drives to determine what information they were not given. Uh, the forensics team searched and determined that 117 files were both deleted and encrypted. Sources said those files were deleted on January 1st, 2023, just days before Thompson's team was required to transfer the data to the new committee. Fox News Digital has learned the forensics team has recovered all 117 deleted and encrypted files. Now Loudermilk is demanding answers and passwords to access the data. Here's a quote from Loudermilk, quote, As you acknowledged in your January 7, 2023 letter, the select committee to investigate the January 6th attack on the United States Capitol did not archive all committee records as required by House rules. You wrote that you were, went sent specific transcribed interviews and depositions to the White House and Department of Homeland Security, but did not archive them with the clerk of the House. He added that Thompson also claimed that you turned over four terabytes of digital files, but hard drives uh, archived by the select committee with the clerk of the House contains less than three terabytes of data. So they're demanding the passwords for uh, the ability to get into these encrypted files uh, that have been recovered by forensics team. Um, look, you don't delete files like that at that time unless you're hiding something. I mean, I can't, at least I can't come up with another reason why you would do it. Um, it, it I mean, it seems pretty obvious that there's something in those files that the Democrats on that committee didn't want the Republicans or the people to know about. And so right now there's a standoff. Hopefully Republicans are going to be able to get these files, get into this information and find out what it is that the Democrats decided they didn't want to, to have known. Um, and that may take a little while. We'll follow it here on the program, just like we follow a lot of stories. Um, and that's all the time we've got for today. But, um, well, I'm trying to find my music here. Um, again, be good to have a producer. I might, I might just go out and try to find me an intern, somebody that could just come in and do a little bit of help for the show. All right, listen, thanks for um, watching today on YouTube and Facebook. It's always a pleasure to see you. Thanks for downloading the podcast. If you don't know about that, you can find Truth and Politics and Culture at Spotify. You can also find it at Apple Podcasts. Pass that information along. Go download it. Leave me a good review. 
and I'll see you in the morning at 7.30. Have a great day.